Good morning, faith family. Now, we worship a God who is absolutely faithful in every way. I trust that already this morning your, your heart is being stirred with these songs of God's faithfulness, how He takes the weak and makes them strong, as we are looking for a few weeks at some of the promises of God. Some promises that God has given you as a child of God that you can bank your life on. And no matter what you face in life, no matter what you face in this new year, there are some things that God has given you that you can absolutely believe no matter what. And so with that, turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10, as we continue in this series called Promises, and we're going to look this morning at what I want to call the promise of power, the promise of strength, uh, that no matter what we face, God will give us the power to be able to endure. And I want to ask you if you're able to stand to do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And notice with me here in verse 12, as Paul writes here by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Would you pray with me? God, we've been asking You over these few weeks to take these promises and to ground them in our lives. Do not let this be something that is superficial. Do not let this be something that's just intellectual, but may this be at the core of who we are, that that no matter what we face, we believe this with every bit of our heart, soul, and strength, that we know you are faithful and every promise you give us is true. Would you do that this morning as we think about your power, your promise of power in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My friend is married to a woman with Alzheimer's. In fact, she doesn't even hardly recognize who he is anymore. In fact, the situation has become so difficult and the marriage so challenging, he's decided to start seeing another woman on the side. I don't know what to tell him. Do you have any advice? That was the scenario, the question that was put before a very popular Christian conservative televangelist on his television program. It was the question and answer part of the show where people could email different questions that they wanted to get answered. And the question that this guy asked, the question he put before this man was, give me advice that I can share with my friend who is cheating on his wife with Alzheimer's. The religious leader thought for a moment, and this was his answer. This was the advice he gave. That's a hard thing. And I know it sounds cruel, but if he's going to do something, he should just divorce her and start over. 
Just make sure that somebody's looking after her needs. Now, somewhat shocked at that answer, the female co-host of the program looked at him and said, but isn't the vow that we make for better or for worse? Till death do us part? And he responded, well, Alzheimer's is kind of a death. I mean, she is, after all, not there anymore. I want you to think about what's at the core of that answer. Aside from a lot of things I find terribly wrong, at the core of that advice, at the core of that answer is this. If you find yourself in a situation where the right thing to do is the hard thing to do, then the best thing to do is just quit and start over. Give up. Give in. Move on. Now, let's be fair. That's the kind of advice most of us want. Even me. The kind of advice that often points us not to the difficult road, but to the easy road. Why? Because all of us have faced, haven't we? And we will face situations where we feel like, I can't do this. This is too hard. I can't handle this. I bet you that every single one of you in this room have had a time in your life where you felt the weight that had been placed on your shoulders was too heavy for you to carry. Any of you have been there? It's too big. It's too strong. I can't do it. I can't handle it. What is this for you? Right here, what is this for you? For some of you, it's an addiction. For some of you, it's caring for somebody with an illness. For some of you, it is the illness. For some of you, it's being married to an unbelieving spouse. For some of you, it's reconciling a relationship. For some of you, it's living under the parents that you have to live under. For some of you, it's trying to get through school. For some of you, it's trying to get out of debt. But I bet we've all faced situations where the weight on our shoulder was more than we could bear. So what's the best advice? Is it quit? Give up. Give in to the pressure that's on you. Or is there a promise that God has for us in situations like this? Now, as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that's exactly what Paul addresses. He gives us a promise that no matter what, if this year is the biggest burden you've ever had to carry, or if this year is the lightest burden you've ever had to carry, here is a promise that God gives us that we can believe in and hold to no matter what. So I want you to be thinking about what is that for you? What is the weight that's on your shoulder that you have to carry? Maybe it's several. And let's look at the promise of God. Now, before we jump into verse 12 and 13, we need to understand the context because we don't, we don't ever want to take a verse out of context. Amen? You don't just pop right into verse 12 and let's go. There's a therefore in verse 12. So what is Paul teaching? Listen, Paul is writing to a group of Christians living in Corinth, a group of Christians that had experienced some amazing spiritual blessings before. 
They had received salvation in Jesus Christ. They have the Holy Spirit. They've been given miraculous gifts. But they've started to give in to the pressures, the burdens around them. One of which was human philosophy. Corinth, after all, was one of the major commercial cities of the Roman Empire at this time. You'll notice that it's right in the middle of two significant gulfs. So there was a steady stream of traffic and trade and commerce, and it made Corinth this hub of knowledge and philosophy and debate. And so the Corinthians are feeling the pressure of starting to think like the world. It wasn't just human philosophy, it was also sexual immorality. One of the Patrian deities in Corinth was the goddess of Aphrodite, the goddess of sexual love. And so you had sexual immorality running like crazy all throughout Corinth. And if you know anything about the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that it had creeped into the church and that was a pressure, a weight, a temptation that they were having to bear. It wasn't just human philosophy and sexual immorality. Even internally, there was fighting and grumbling that was taking place. And so Paul writes in chapter 10 and he says, it's not new. You're not the first to deal with this. Let me take you back to the nation of Israel a people who had also experienced amazing spiritual blessings. Verse 1, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, passed through the sea, verse 2, baptized into Moses, verse 3, ate the same spiritual food, verse 4, drank the same spiritual drink. They had all kinds of spiritual blessings. God provided for them. They were in Moses. They had spiritual food and drink. But listen, past spiritual blessings does not guarantee future obedience. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Corinthians, what happened to the nation of Israel? They experienced all kinds of spiritual blessings like you have, and then they went out into the wilderness, and they started facing a little bit of trial, facing a little bit of temptation. The, the weight on the back started getting a little heavy, and do you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to give up, give in, go home. We had it better in Egypt. The giants are too big. And what happened is they fell into sin. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. That is, you start loving things more than you love God. Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. In other words, abandoning God's design. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test. Verse 10, wait for it. Wait for it. Nor grumble and complain and fight with one another as some of them did. In other words, you see what Paul's doing. He's saying, <laughs> you're facing the exact same thing they were facing. Namely, will you give in to the pressures around you and the pressures within you and forsake the promise of God? 
I would submit to you that we are no different. I bet you there are some in this room who have scars to prove those moments when you gave in to the pressure instead of clinging to the promise. And so God, or Paul, wants to encourage them in the Lord. He wants to encourage them with this promise of God. And now that gets us to verse 12. And what I want to do, very simple this morning, we're just going to walk word by word, phrase by phrase through these three verses and just let God's Word show us some practical things of how we walk the Christian life. In fact, what I want to do right here, I want to go from your head, that is how you think, to your heart, what you believe, to your hands, how you're going to live. And so let's start with the head. Here's a perspective Paul says you need to have. Verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Here's the first part of the perspective when the weight is heavy is, you with me? You with me? Don't overestimate your ability. Take heed lest you fall. Why? Because the tendency is when we've had spiritual victories is to begin to play it safe. I mean, after all, I've been going to church all my life. I've been a Christian for 20 years. They gave me a bonus at work because I'm such a hard worker. I graduated from the school of hard knocks. I drive a Dodge Stratus or whatever, you know. (laughs) But there's something that it's like, man, I can handle this. I can do this. I'm a big enough old boy. And Paul says, you better be careful. Take heed because if you think you stand, you may find yourself flat on your face. Because you're not as strong as you think you are. Past victories and the spiritual blessings of the past have a way to make us feel safe. It did for the Corinthians. We're a spirit-filled church. Look at all the spiritual gifts we have. It did for Israel. We're the people of God. God led us out of Egypt. Uh Uh-huh. And the same group that walked on dry land spent the next 40 years walking around in a dry desert because of their sin. You are not as strong as you think you are. And self-confidence in the Christian life results in carelessness in the Christian life. And I need to say this because I am pastoring Berean Baptist Church. I am so thankful for the 50 years of faithfulness this church has had. Praise God for that. But that won't buy you squat tomorrow if you get lazy now. We have this tendency in moments of pressure to think I'm strong enough to handle this. It reminds me of Amy. Amy was a college-age student that decided to go to spring break in Cancun with her friends. Amy had grown up in the uh, awesome youth group experience that many have known. She grew up in a Christian family. She had even in those purity weekends made commitments to save herself. And, and she decided, you know, I know what they do in spring break in Cancun, but I'm strong enough. I can handle this. So she went. And early in the week, she 
struck up a relationship with this guy and they started hanging out and she found him attractive. And by the end of the week, things were getting pretty heavy and he invited her over to his house on the last night that she was there and they slept together. The next morning, he took her to the airport. They embraced, talked about how they wanted to keep in touch, and he gave her a letter and said, the only thing I ask is that you don't open this letter until you get on the plane. She said, okay, it's probably a love letter. It'll be sweet. So they hugged one last time. She got on the plane. As the plane was taking off, she opened the letter. It wasn't a love letter. It was six words, welcome to the world of AIDS. But Amy said, that'll never happen to me. I'm strong enough for that. And Paul says, take heed lest you fall. The moment you say, I will never do that, may be the very moment you hear the rooster crow. You see, the danger at Berean isn't religious persecution. It isn't sliding off into heresy. It is not our elders at an elder meeting getting out Ouija boards to try to decide how we're going to make decisions. Our greatest danger is becoming so spiritually lazy and settling for mediocrity that we become foolish enough to think it'll never happen to me. What part of roaring lions seeking whom he may devour do you find cute? The moment you think, Corinthians, you can handle this, I got this, is the moment you are spiritually in trouble. So don't overestimate your ability when the weight upon your shoulder is heavy, but secondly, don't overstate your situation. Notice the next phrase, verse 13. No temptation or trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. What you're going through is not unique, which sounds on the surface a little insensitive, doesn't it? I mean, you could almost say Paul's like, come on, sissy. It's just an addiction. Come on, sissy. It's just cancer. Everybody deals with that. Paul's not belittling them. He's not. People, after all, in the Corinthian church are dying because of their sin. Here's what Paul is doing, and I think it is so spot on. Paul wants to make sure, listen, that the Corinthians do not justify their sin by saying, yeah, but our situation is different. I mean, if you knew how big the giants were, you'd understand why we wanted to go back to Egypt. If you understood what it was like to live in Corinth, you'd understand why the weight of sexual immorality is so strong. If you knew what it was like to be married to my husband, if you knew what it was like to have my parents, if you knew what it was like to have to work for that boss, why? Because the more unique you can make your situation, the more likely you will be to rationalize your sin. We live in Corinth. Yeah, but there is no temptation that is not common to man. 
You are not, when it comes to struggle and weight and heavy burdens, you're not special. But at the same time, you're not alone. Your struggle is real, but it's not uncommon. So don't overstate the trial that you're in. Don't overestimate your abilities or overstate the situation. But then notice thirdly, Brian, for heaven's sake, don't underestimate God. Notice what he says. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. The problem with Israel, the problem with the Corinthians, the problem with me is that theologically I know God is big, but practically I live like my situation is bigger. And it's as though that Paul wants to say to Israel, are you kidding me? God parted a sea. Do you not think he can handle giants? Corinthians, God saved your soul from hell. Do you not think he can sustain you in Corinth? Berean, don't let the size of your God be determined by the weight of your burden. Because we have a tendency, just like them, that when life is really, really easy, God is really, really big. But when circumstances are tough and the weight gets heavy, it's like, I'm not quite sure God can handle this. Theologically, we'd never say that. Maybe some would, but practically, it's how we feel. And I submit to you that it's when the weight is heaviest that you need the biggest view of God. God is faithful. Don't underestimate Him because the longer the enemy can convince you that your situation is bigger than God, the more likely it will be you will throw in the towel. So how do we think when the burden's on our back? What do we think? We say, I'm not going to overestimate my ability. I'm not going to overstate my situation. And I am not going to underestimate God. So that's the perspective. That's our minds. What's our heart? What is it that we believe in and we hold fast to? That's what Paul gives us next. Notice the next phrase. So God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So here's the point. God controls the extent of your situation. God is sovereign over the weight and how much weight is put on your shoulder. You remember Job? What did God say to Satan in the book of Job? Go back. Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. He says, you can touch his health, but you can't kill him. This far, no further. The weight on your back is absolutely under the sovereign care of God. How many of you, if you've ever crossed a bridge, you've noticed that weight limit sign? Why in the world is that sign there? 
It's because engineers have determined that there is an amount of stress that that bridge can take. And once you go over that amount, the bridge will collapse. Here's the point, child of God. God has a weight limit sign over your life. Now you would say, like Mother Teresa said, I believe that God will not give me more than I am able to handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. (laughs) And we've been there. But don't take this out of context. Remember the word and. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. In other words, whatever weight is on your back, it is not bigger than your spiritual resources. The promise that God controls the extent of your situation comes out of his faithfulness. And so if you say to me, pastor, I can't handle this. I'm going to say to you, I know. You're not meant to. And you might say, well, you know, Paul's preaching all this stuff, and it's easy to say this to the Corinthians, but I wonder if he ever had to live it. He did. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 on the screen here. This is Paul talking about his own life. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that is the thorn in his flesh, that it should leave me. But he said to me, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, for the sake of Christ, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I believe that there is a weight limit over my life and that God's grace is sufficient for me when I can't handle it. Amen? He controls the extent of your situation, but He also provides you a way of escape from your situation. Next phrase. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape. Now, the Greek imagery here is the idea of an army that is surrounded by another army and they're about to get it. And then all of a sudden, a little path opens up and they're able to flee to safety. But I thought, how do I bring that into our world? Um, and I thought, you know, how many of you watch the uh, Born Identity movies, you know, those types, or, or like Taken, Part 83, or however many they're going to make <laughs> of that movie? Does everything have to be a trilogy? Um, but it never fails in those kinds of movies. You have this high-speed chase, and they're you know, racing down the street, and they turn into this kind of side street, and they're gaining on them from behind, and right in front of them is like this big brick wall, and it's like, they're caught. There's no way out. And then they happen to turn at the last second, and there's this little bitty alley that just so happens to be the size of their car, and they make their way to safety. 
That's the idea that Paul is talking about here to the Corinthians. God always promises a way of escape when the burden is heavy. Now, that doesn't always mean you're physically removed from the situation. It may mean that God gives you peace internally to continue to endure the situation. Sometimes, when not violating Scripture, it may be an out of the situation. But here's the real point. Here's the real point. The issue is never whether or not God provides a way of escape. The issue is always this. Do you prefer the escape or your disobedience? I'll give you an example. Pastor, my boss said if I didn't lie on the report, he'd fire me. I had no option. I had to lie. And my response would be, no, God gave you an escape to no longer work for a lying jerk. You chose employment over escape. You see, God doesn't promise that the way of escape will always be easy. It is not always the easy road, is it? He doesn't promise a way of escape that's not going to cost you anything. That's going to keep your precious little normal image that everybody has of you. Because escape might mean no dating. Escape might mean no computer in the house. Escape might mean learning to close your mouth rather than open your mouth. And you say, but those things are just not practical to which I say, since when was godliness normal? The issue is never, is there a way of escape? The issue for me too often is I prefer my sin more than I do the escape. Why? It's just a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot easier. But make no mistake, dear friend, God promises you an escape. He will control the extent of your situation. He will give you an escape from your situation. And then notice the last phrase of verse 13, that you may be able to endure it. In other words, he also, in promise, he also promises endurance in your situation. All eyes right here. I know the view is suspect. Child of God, you will get through this. You will get through this. I will control the extent of their situation and I will provide them a way of escape and I will give them strength that they will be able to endure this. You don't got this. But God does. I want to connect for you practically how we live this I want to connect two dots in Scripture, two, two Scriptures in the Bible. The first you're probably familiar with. It's Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 34. Here's what it says. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Why? Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words... Every day has trouble. Amen? 
Sometimes it's a big T, sometimes it's a little T, but every day has its own share of trouble. Why? You live in a fallen world. It's broken. And so sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Every day you'll face that. That's really good news. Well, here's the really good news. Listen to Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Jeremiah writes this, by the way, when Israel is about to be destroyed by Babylon, or is being destroyed, and here's what he says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. And then notice this phrase, they are new every morning. Couldn't we say every day? That's what Jeremiah means. They're new every morning. They're new every day. Great is your faithfulness. Now, track with me. Do you see the connection between each day in Matthew 6 and every morning or every day in Lamentations 3? There is a relationship between the trouble that you face in a given day and the mercy that God will give you new that morning to handle that trouble. Every day is going to have some version of this. And do you know what God promises He's going to do for you? He's going to give you new mercy on that day for you to face that day's trouble. Here's what we do. We start thinking about tomorrow's troubles. We do like this. The burden on our back is I'm in a very difficult situation in my job and and they may be giving layoffs and and that's a weight that's heavy on my back and I don't know what I'm going to do. And if they were to lay me off, I don't know what I would do to get my kids through college. And if they were to lay me off, I don't know what that would do to my retirement because my wife and I have really got some plans we want to do when we retire. And what are you doing? You're fighting tomorrow's trouble with today's mercy and there's not enough. Tomorrow hasn't come yet. But when 10 years from now comes and the trouble comes with it, do you know what will be waiting for you in the morning? The mercy of God. You will endure because God will give you each day the mercy you need for the trouble of that day. So stop fighting battles that haven't even started yet. Are you encouraged? Oh, dear friends, God promises to control the extent of your situation, to give you an escape from the situation, and to endure you through the situation. So what do we need to do? That's our head and our heart. Now our hands, just very quickly, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Here's the point quickly. God will provide a way of escape. Use it. God will give you power to endure. Use it. The promise of God, Corinthians, like the promise of God to the Israelites, was not something for you to put on a coffee mug and think it's pretty. The promise of God is what you are to apply when the weight is too heavy to bear. Flee. 
stay strong. Stand in His promise. Whatever applies to the situation you're in, use it. Because we have no idea what we're going to face in 2015. No idea. But I bet you, dear friends, that there's going to be times this year when we're going to find ourselves in situations whereby we'll say, I can't handle this. There's going to be situations where like that man married to the woman with Alzheimer's, we're going to say this would be a whole lot easier if we would just give up, start over. But I want to ask you, child of God, in that moment, in that pressure point, when the burden gets heavy and heavy and heavy, please remember another man who is married to a woman with Alzheimer's. A man whose wife, one night in a garden, when the soldiers were gathering around, she ran. A wife who one night in a courtyard, when people started asking too many questions, she denied her husband three times. A bride who one day when she lived in Corinth, she fell in love with the world. A bride who one day when she lived in Burnsville said, it will never happen to me. In that moment, when the burden seems too heavy, remember Jesus, who is married to a woman who on many times has acted like she didn't even know who he was. We are the bride with Alzheimer's. And yet he has never left our side. He's never wanted to. In fact, for the joy set before Him, He endured a cross for us. Why? So that no matter what happens in 2015, what you can count on is Him being right by your side for better or for worse. Let's pray. Father, help us cling this morning to Your promise. I believe that there are some in this room right now who the burden on their back, and I know because I've talked to people, with tears welling up in their eyes. And they're at that pressure point where they feel like, I can't do this. And Spirit of God, come this morning and encourage them that they're right, they can't do this. The only way through this is to trust in the promise that God has given us. That He is in control of our situation and He will give us the power and the strength in our weakness to endure. As we keep our eyes focused on a Savior who never leaves us, who never forsakes us, May that beauty of the gospel motivate us 
to truly live in the promise of God. In Jesus' name, amen.